Hello and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for joining us. If you like Flight Deck, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Our guest this week is former Jets general manager and current ESPN front office analyst, Mike Tannenbaum. I'm going to get his take on the Jets draft. And I, you know Mike is high on Zach Wilson. We'll talk about that. But I want to get his take on the next quarterback decision facing the Jets. Is starting Zach Wilson in week one the right move? I think Mike will have an interesting perspective on that. He went through the same thing in 2009 with Mark Sanchez. Well, we just got through the Jets' rookie minicamp. It lasted three days. We had access for two of those days. Unfortunately, only 60 minutes per day. So we saw no competitive drills. No 7-on-7. They didn't even have 11-on-11 because they didn't have the numbers. So we saw a lot of warm-ups and calisthenics and, and guys competing against air. Um, this was by design. Robert Sala told us he wanted the rookies to go out in a low-pressure environment. You know, I understand it as a coach. I'd probably want to do the same thing for my players, especially with a highly drafted quarterback whose every move is going to be dissected by the media. But as a journalist, I don't like it because it affects our ability to do coverage and we can't relay what we observe to you, the fans. So that's the downside of it. Uh, I think we needed to keep it in perspective, though. You know, the Patriots are having their rookie minicamp this coming weekend, and Bill Belichick is closing the entire thing to the media. So at least we got a couple of hours worth of looking, and I did come away with some snack judgments. Let's talk about Zach Wilson, first of all. I didn't see him open up in terms of throwing the ball downfield. Everything was short, mostly under 15 yards. So I'm not going to make up some judgments and say this, this, and this. I don't want to mislead you in any way. A couple of small observations, though. One, speaking of small, he's not the biggest guy. You know, we know he's six foot two and about 214. And, you know, looking at him from the sideline, he does not have the biggest upper body. Uh, the Jets believe he can fill out once he gets some time in the weight room. So we'll see. The other thing that jumped out at me is, he does have exceptionally quick feet. I was watching him in the bag drills, and he's he can move. He's got some fancy footwork. That jibes with the scouting report pre-draft. You know, you could just see the quickness, and now you know how he was able to maneuver around the pocket, get outside the pocket. He has really good spatial awareness. In fact, this came up during one of his Zoom calls with the Jets. They were complimenting him on his ability to move with the ball and create and, uh, you know, he said he told the Jets officials in the Zoom call, it probably comes from my basketball background. He played AAU in high school. He was a really good basketball player. And Joe Douglas said to him on the call, he goes, I bet you were a point guard, right? And, and uh, Wilson said, yep, point guard. So uh, you can see those basketball skills translating a little bit. But those were my main takeaways on Zach Wilson. Elijah Vera Tucker did not get a visual. He was the lineman worked out in the morning and we had no access to that. So I'll move on to Elijah Moore. Small, of course we knew that, 5'9", but he's not a string bean. He is thickly built, thick lower body. Again, reminds me of Steve Smith Jr., the former Panther. I did see him drop one pass uh, on a deep out route. He turned around and Wilson's pass kind of surprised him. It came up so quickly and he dropped it. But the other thing I noticed with Moore, 
very good in and out of his cuts. Uh, you know, that is one of the most important qualities for a wide receiver to have. Uh, so, yes, he definitely lived up to the scouting report with that. You know, Michael Carter, the running back, Salah called him a little jitterbug. He's little at 5'8", but you know what? He's uh, kind of a bowling ball, very low center of gravity. Uh, I think he might be more powerful than people think. So I dig, dug up a little bit. You know me. I love doing the research. And running between the tackles last season, he averaged 8.4 yards per carry, according to our ESPN stats. 8.4 per carry between the tackles. That was actually higher than his overall yards per carry, which was 8.0. He's only 5'8", 200 pounds. So definitely he'll be a fun guy to watch. A player not drafted that jumped out to me is uh, Kenny Yaboa, the tight end from Ole Miss, undrafted free agent, 6'4", 250. Looks like a real fluid athlete. Didn't see him do a whole lot, but I could just tell the way he was moving. He looked smooth. So that's an encouraging sign there. Uh, the Jets have already signed six of their 10 draft picks. So they're, you know, everything is moving quickly. Everything is slotted, of course, so there's no real negotiations. And one other note, you know, was the Jets cut a few players. The one surprise to me was Chase McLaughlin, the kicker. Uh, he was going to compete with Sam Ficken. Uh, you know, that surprised me. I think I've heard good reports on him, but the Jets evidently didn't see him uh, competing for that job. So they brought in undrafted player from SNMU, Chris Nugger. And uh, interesting guy. He Last year, Nugger did all three things. He kicked field goals. He did the punting. And he was kickoff guy, too. All three. It's rare to see that. But that was his only year in the college level kicking. He uh, The previous year, he was at Texas, and all he did was punt. The Jets see him as a place kicker and someone who can compete against Sam Thicken. It seems like the Jets have been playing musical kickers for the last few years. They got to find a kicker. Settle on a kicker. But we'll have plenty of time to dissect that in the future. I'd like to welcome in a friend of the podcast, former Jets general manager and current ESPN front office analyst, Mike Tannenbaum. Mike was actually our first ever guest on on Flight Deck two years ago. Evidently, we didn't do anything to piss him off because he agreed to come back. And so thanks so much, Mike, for being here. Great, great to be with you, Rich. And uh, am I the first history of the, the podcast, the first repeat guest? You are. You are. I, I don't don't expect a prize in the mail for that, but you are the first repeat guest. So, uh, you know, I just thought you'd be a really good guest this week because you you went through what the Jets are about to go through. They have a young, highly drafted uh, rookie quarterback. You know, you did it in 09 with Mark Sanchez. So I'm wondering from a front office perspective, what sort of things are they should they be thinking about now in terms of getting him ready? Some of the uh, potential pitfalls. How to how to groom a young quarterback like this? Yeah, I think the short answer is, um, you know, when you're a head coach, a GM to a lesser extent, because you're not out out in front, but certainly for a quarterback, not trying to over dramatize it. But until you're in the seat, until you have a bad game. You just don't know what it's like there. You just don't know. And I remember asking Coach Parcells, you know, when did you know that Phil Sims was going to be, you know, Phil Sims and a great player? He said it was after a loss. He threw four interceptions. And the next Wednesday's practice, when he got into the huddle, and the other 10 people in the huddle believed he could take him, he, that quarterback could take that team to where they wanted to go. And the lesson, of course, is 
the belief they had in him despite that four interceptions and the mental toughness you need. And, you know, Coach Parcells, if you can Google this, you know, the Ten Commandments of the quarterback, one of them is about being a battlefield commander. And being a battlefield commander is about being mentally and physically tough and rich. You just can't uh, overestimate the amount of mental toughness he's going to need because, look, I think he'll be a good quarterback. I've been on the record multiple times, but there will also be growing pains, and how he handles that will be hugely consequential. You guys traded up and drafted Mark fifth overall in 09, and he was your day one starter. He started opening day. Uh, do you think Zach should be the day one starter for the Jets? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, the world's kind of changed. You know, like Chad Pennington sat for two years. And look, Chad had a really good career. I think he would have had a good career, however, play, you know, if he started, you know, Patrick Mahomes sat. I'm not a big believer in rushing. Like, I thought Cincinnati made a huge mistake last year with the pandemic. They had a guy in Andy Dalton who's like the perfect guy. Like, why are you rushing Joe Burrow out there? So, I'm not saying not playing, you know, see what else you have, but I would not be in a rush. I just, someone has to convince me, like, why we're trying to get these guys out there so fast. And, like, going back to last year, you know, with Cincinnati, like, bad offensive line, no offseason program. You're, it doesn't matter if Cincinnati won three games last year or five. Like, Jim Burrow is hopefully a, a 10-year player. Zach Wilson for the Jets, you hope, is a 10-year player, like, I don't think there's a big difference if the Jets win six games in Robert Salah's first year, seven or eight. Like, I don't think anyone's going to care. I mean, of course they're going to care, but not long-term. It's really what he is next year, the year after, and the year after that. So whatever puts him in the best chance to be successful long-term to me is what's most important. Yeah, this isn't like a Kansas City situation where, where Mahomes walked into a playoff team, you know, and so Andy Reid kept him on the bench for a year because that team had playoff aspirations and they went with Alex Smith for a year before turning it over to Patrick. Um, do you, looking back on it, I mean, do you have any regrets about starting Mark that right away that year? I mean, he ended up making the championship game. So I can't imagine there are too many regrets, but you know, he did have some, some bumps in the middle of that season. Yeah. He had bumps on opening day against Houston when the only time they scored was on a pick six return. Um, so you know, Mark was a, a really good player from day one. As you said, got us to the championship game in consecutive years. You know, then obviously things didn't, you know, work out the way we had all had hoped. He was the best player for us. Um, and I guess depending on who else the Jets may get, you know, I, ultimately I think what people don't realize is like the locker room will tell you a lot from this standpoint. If Zach Wilson's not ready and he's out there, the locker room will tell you that. Um, if he can't get the words out on the play call, which I don't think that'll be an issue, but I'm just saying like it would be apparent if he wasn't ready and he played. I thought the Jets may have rushed Darnold in 2018 because they had Josh McCown and we know Josh is limited in terms of what he can do, but you knew he would be able to get the guys lined up and get the right playoff. I thought maybe starting the year with him would have been the way to go. They obviously felt otherwise and they, and they put Sam in there. In any way, do you think that could have had a, an effect on him, or do you think that was the right call at the time? Uh, I'm with you. Again, same thing. Uh, I, I believe in McCown. Um, I, don't, you know, I think our league as a whole is rushing. I, I think the interesting one to me, Rich, is going to be you know, Cam Newton with Matt Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo with Trey Lance. I, I would expect both those veterans to start. I think that's the right decision. Again, like you think about like the, the amount of draft capital – that San Francisco gave up for Trey Lance. It's not about being 
you know, winning one more game in 2021. It's about the next 10 years. And I think that's the lens on how these decisions should be made. Well, right now the Jets don't have another uh, veteran to compete with with Zach. They have James Morgan, uh, who did not play at all last year as a rookie, and they have uh, Mike White, who's basically uh, been a practice squad guy. Um, do you now? Now publicly, the Jets are saying, "Well, you know, we're in no rush to go out and get a veteran. They have to get a veteran, though, right?" I mean, they're just saying that at some point they're going to have to get a guy who's played in a game, right? Are you asking me or telling me? No, I, I mean, I'm asking you in kind of a, a persuasive way. I mean, you know, kind of, it might be some GM speak from Joe Douglas, you know, a little posturing, but he must have his eye on some uh, a veteran or two that he's trying to get. Yeah, but, you know, it's funny. And obviously, the haze in the barn, but, you know, you go back to RG3, it was right, him and Kirk Cousins, um, and they kind of grew up together. But I, w- I would think they would at some point. Um, it'll be interesting to see who it is. Uh, you know, does Nick Foles become available at some point in Chicago now that there's three there? That's a name that I think you could keep an eye on. But, again, I, I think the big takeaway on these quarterbacks, Rich, including Zach, don't rush it. Like, put him in the best position and be uh, successful just from a standpoint of you want it to go as well as possible. And I'm not saying, like, David Carr, it's the reason, but, you know, some people feel like, hey, you know, he goes out, plays for Houston early, they have a bad offensive line, and, and the rest is history. Now, you, you alluded to this earlier. You know, you were very much in favor. Uh, you're a Zach Wilson guy. You've spoken very highly of him in the past. I know you were actually – you saw him play in person in, in the Boca Raton Bowl. What is it about him that impresses you so much? And just for the record, for the ESPN bosses that may be listening, there was no per diem for that arduous road trip three miles down the road. Yeah, not a, not an extensive – don't put in for any uh, expensive meals or hotels or anything. But, no, I, I leave that for the Samini account. Yeah, right. What jumped out at you about him? I, I thought I was watching a point guard on grass. I thought he had really good movement skills in the pocket to get outside the pocket. And, again, the, his one distinguishing attribute, in my opinion, is downfield, outside the numbers, his accuracy is outstanding. And he's going to have to make plays from the pocket because I can tell you right now, let's go into the Wednesday morning meeting in Foxborough, Massachusetts, when Bill Belichick – and the New England Patriot defense is getting ready to play Zach Wilson. Set the edge, keep him in the pocket, push the pocket, compress the pocket. He's going to have to make throws 10 yards or more outside the numbers to his left to be a successful quarterback because they're going to overload blitzes to a strong hand. They're going to make him open his hips, throw the ball, um, again, to the far hash, and that's what's going to make him either successful or not. Um, They're not going to let him play to his strengths. He's going to want to roll to his right, He's going to want to play in space, have a clean read, and he has tremendous talent. The question that he's going to have to answer is, you know, can he take a blitz, can he move his feet, and can he make plays down the field to his left from the pocket? And that's the one question we don't know, but I think he has a really, really uh, good feel in the pocket. I think he steps up. I think he climbs the pocket. I think his arm strength, like candidly seeing him in person, Rich, like, his arm strength's better than what you think his physique would let him be. Um, and that was super encouraging. Yeah, he did not face a lot of compressed pockets at BYU last year because of the schedule they faced. So that, that will be interesting. But you're right. His deep ball accuracy, according to our ESPN analytics people, he had like the highest percentage of the completion percentage 
in uh, balls over 20 yards since they've been keeping that stat. You know, so he does seem to have a, a knack for for throwing the dimes, as they say. Yeah, yeah, and again, like that to me, like as you try to separate these players, and like you know, why would you take Trevor Lawrence or Trey Lance or Justin Fields? Like, I thought that was the one attribute he had that you could separate. And one last thing, Mike, and I was thinking back to one of your drafts when this happened. Uh, the Jets traded up to the 14th spot and took Elijah Vera Tucker. Kind of took me back to 2007 when you traded up to the 14th spot and took some cornerback out of Pitt. He, he turned out okay. I mean, you know, he wasn't just okay. But Darrell Revis, of course, is a future Hall of Famer. Did you have, what did you think of the trade, first of all, for the Jets moving up for Vera Tucker? You know, they gave up a lot, but if he's a 10-year starter, it's okay. You know, like, no one's going to look back in 10 years and be like, oh, that should have been a three and a four instead of two threes or whatever. You know, so if you get a high-character, productive player, like, I think it's it it's okay. I think there's a little bit of a premium there, but if you can solidify your left side of the line between Becton and Vera Tucker, uh, I think that it's a good move despite paying a, a big premium. The Jets said he was in the top 10 on their draft board. Uh, where was Revis on your board that year? Top five. So he was top. So you went up from 20-something, I believe, with 21. 21 with Carolina, go to 14 right. to get a guy who's in the top five of your board. You gave up a lot, probably, but uh, I don't have it at my fingertips. But look, you got a future Hall of Famer. No one's going to care what you gave up. So that was, was that your best – was that one of your best moments as a GM? Yeah. I, the best moment of being GM, to be candid, was uh, when we made the playoffs uh, on the last game in the old Giant Stadium, and we took a lap around the stadium. And there was something pretty cool about making the playoffs that night and then kicking their ass six days later uh, in Cincinnati. And, you know, the name on the stadium wasn't Jets, it was Giants. But it was kind of cool to be, like, the last team to play and to play – and to win and to get in and then like watching the team go around um, like the lower bowl of the old giant stadium. It was just like a very cool moment of like, you know, the organization for so long was, you know, the second child and not having the name on the side of the bill. Like there's been a lot written about that and, you know, MetLife was going to equalize all that, but I thought there was something like very like poetic and fulfilling um, being on the field and just watching that. And there was a lot that went in about, well, is Marvin Lewis going to play the starters? And they were already in the playoffs. And that's what was so great about beating them twice so quickly was like, you know, we beat them once without their starters, and then we beat them again with their starters. It was a very, like, uh, for me, like, it was a great sense of fulfillment. Yeah, I mean, I remember the narrative going into the playoff game. Well, it's hard to beat a team twice, in, you know, in consecutive yeah. weeks. And, you know, that was on the road, too in 09 and you lost your you lost your punter <laughs> right before the game i remember that right. jay feely had to come in and do both jobs and he did it pretty well under under the circumstances so yeah it's definitely a very very good memory uh mike thank you so much for coming in and talking about zach and the quarterback situation and some of the uh falls and things that the jets have to deal with you know you know us in the New York media, we'll be we'll be pussycats to him, right? When he throws a few interceptions, it'll be good. You know how we are in New York. We're soft. You know, in all seriousness, though, like that goes back to a little bit of what Coach Parcells has Ten Commandments, Rich, which is like he has to, and this is and, it, and I, this is I'm just taking it behind the curtain. Like, you know, when I was a GM, 
I, I really didn't read much or any because I had a great PR department. They told me what I needed to know, but everybody around you does, you know, and they can say that they don't, but they do. And I, I'm sure Zach will be wired into the season and I wouldn't be worried about him, but he's got to tell his inner circle, like, don't read it. I got to worry about what Joe Douglas thinks of me and what Robert Sala thinks of me and nothing else matters. Not what Rich me thinks of me, not what any of the, you know, anybody on the beat thinks and, or the fans. And I always say this, like New York's a force multiplier. You know, I was born there. I'm from the Northeast and um, it's a very special place. It's not for everybody. And he just needs, and his inner circle needs to have blinders and just stack one good day on top of the next. Great stuff, Mike. I really appreciate you stopping by for the second time. (laughs) All right, Rich. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. And welcome to the third quarter. It's the Twitter mailbag. I'm reaching deep into the Twitter mailbag. We had so many questions last week that I'm going to use some this week. Uh, I don't want to let them go to waste. And we're starting out with at MTBDJC. What are your initial impressions and feelings about Robert Sala compared to the previous Jets head coaches? Well, to me, he most closely resembles Rex Ryan, just in terms of energy and uh, player friendliness. Yeah, very much like Rex Ryan, not not quite as uh, swaggerlicious as Bart Scott might say. Uh, doesn't have the uh, bold, you know, predictions. We haven't gotten to that stage yet. But uh, just in terms of the enthusiasm, kind of reminds me actually of Pete Carroll, which is interesting because that's one of Robert Sala's mentors. Uh, no resemblance at all to Gase and Bowles. I, I saw Sala at minicamp standing in the middle of the field, his arms folded and kind of pivoting, looking a little at the offense, looking a little at the defense. So really trying to be that CEO type of coach that the Jets wanted to hire. Um, You know, it's way too early to make definitive statements. Everyone's saying, is there a different feeling around the team? And, you know, I I haven't been around there enough to get that sense. I I do think they're moving in the right direction. So if you want to say that's a different feeling, uh, I just need a little bit more time around the team before I make that observation. Next one from at sports underscore FI3ND. What is the status of the Marcus May extension? Do you think a long-term deal will get done before the July 15th deadline? Well, right now he's on the books uh, one year at $10.6 million. Sala said the work the front office is, quote, working relentlessly to try to get an extension done. I don't believe anything anybody says because it's all posturing when it comes to contract stuff. You know, until it's done, it's not done. And uh, I've seen too many of these go on this way. So, uh, so yeah, they're trying, uh, but uh, they're still a part on this. I have a feeling this will go right down to the deadline. Uh, you know, there's some pressure on Joe Douglas here. In, in two years as the GM, he has never signed one of his own players to what I would call a significant extension. You know, they get traded or cut and sent away. So, you know, you when does that stop? You know, you got to sign some of your own guys. May is a good player, not a great player, and he's got all the right intangibles. So I think you want to keep a guy like that. One thing that Robert Sala said over the weekend that I thought was really interesting, he seemed to be indicating that he sees May as a strong safety with LaMarcus Joyner as his primary free safety. I think a lot of us assumed that Ashton Davis 
would be the tandem with May. But it sounds like LaMarcus Joyner is going to project as their post safety, someone who can play the middle third the way Jimmy Ward did for Sala in San Francisco. So that, I thought, was really interesting. Uh, next question from at Matt Romano 19 with the way the draft went. Is it more or less likely that C.J. Mosley gets traded? Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a small chance before the draft, and I still think it's a small chance. I don't want to say zero yet. Even, the, even though Sala speaks very, very highly of C.J. and how he can contribute, and they're looking forward to getting him back out there. But I still get the sense, a small little tiny fraction of a percentage that this is not a done deal yet that he's staying Cap wise, he's counting seven point five million this year. If they cut him, if they trade him before June first, they only save a million and a half. But if they wait till after first the June first to trade him, they can save six million. So it's a four and a half million dollar difference. That's pretty significant. And so I don't think you'll see anything before June first. And then after June first, like I said, probably a really small chance. But I would not rule it out. They really like Jared Davis, and I think they see Davis possibly as their middle linebacker or the guy who wears the green dot and has the speaker in his helmet, I think that hasn't been decided yet. And so that tells me that Mosley might not be locked in just yet. At Z Bader 55, if you had to predict the starting five on the offensive line, who would it be? Well, you have uh, Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker on the left side. I think Connor McGovern will be the center. And on the right side, Greg Van Roten is probably running ahead at right guard right now with George Fant at right tackle. I think Van Roten is the most vulnerable. He could be, you know, bounced out of there by either Alex Lewis or Cameron Clark or Dan Feeney. So that's the one spot where I think they could be looking to create a lot of competition. Next, at control underscore A underscore backspace, with the addition of Elijah Moore, what role do you see Denzel Mims absorbing on the depth chart? Is he a wide receiver three? Well, I think it's apples and oranges there, uh, control, because Elijah Moore is basically a slot receiver and Denzel is not. So I wouldn't call Denzel the wide receiver three, but I would say this about Denzel it's not an easy path for him to the starting lineup. Everyone assumes just because he was a second-round pick last year that he's going to walk right into a starting role along Corey Davis. Not so fast. This team really likes Keelan Cole, a free agent they signed from Jacksonville. And I suspect if they lined up today to play a game, it could be Coles and Davis on the outside with Crowder in the slot. Denzel Mims is going to have to earn his keep this year. You know, he had a couple of nice plays last year but was injured for basically half the year, didn't even score a touchdown. So let's not let's put away the anointing oils, as Bill Parcells would say, uh, for Denzel Mims. Let him earn a spot instead of uh, getting passed, uh, instead of handing it to him with other veterans who are more qualified. And we'll be back right after this. And we're going to wrap up this week's episode by talking about previewing the NFL schedule release. That is scheduled for Wednesday night, 8 o'clock. You can check it out on ESPN. It's fascinating this year because it is the first year of the 17-game schedule. 
And I guarantee you I will make a mistake referring to the 16-game schedule at some point in something I say or write. So I'll apologize ahead of time. But yes, it's 17 games for the first time. And of course, we're all intrigued by who the opening game. We know we know who the Jets are playing. We just don't know when yet. And uh, the games I'll be, I think they'll open at home. You know, September 12th is the first Sunday. That is one day after the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So I'm fairly certain the league would want to put the Jets in their home stadium that weekend. A couple of games that I'll be on the lookout for. The Jets are at Carolina. Of course, that'll mean playing Sam Darnold. That should be an exciting game. Uh, and we don't know when that will be. That'll be interesting. And also, the Jets could have a London game. They play the Falcons on the road and Atlanta is scheduled to play in London, in England, actually. So keep an eye on that one. That's a possibility for the Jets. A couple of other bullet points. If you're a Jet fan, I think you want to get Houston early in the year. They're at Houston. Uh, Looks like Deshaun Watson will be facing some sort of league discipline, so you'd want to get him early. And uh, I think the Jets will be facing a lot of young quarterbacks this year. You have uh, at least five games with very inexperienced quarterbacks. You have Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence, Tua twice, and possibly Mac Jones once or twice, depending on how fast the Patriots move him him into their starting lineup. So that will be interesting. Jets getting a lot of young quarterbacks. That's always helpful. But, of course, they will be playing with a young quarterback, Zach Wilson. And that Trevor Lawrence-Zach Wilson game will be fun. You know, two Teams starting over with new coaches and the first and second picks of the draft will be, I think, if it's early enough in the year, will gain some national attention for sure. Don't often see one versus two. So I'm always looking forward to the schedule. I know fans have their calendars at the ready, and hopefully this year we're in full stadiums around around the league and can get back to some normalcy. Thanks for tuning in this week. I want to thank our guest, Mike Tannenbaum, and of course, our producer, Jeff Scopin. You can subscribe to Flight Deck on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, and find us on any of the ESPN platforms. Glad you stopped by. This was fun. Looking forward to our next chat on Flight Deck.